Good morning, brothers and sisters. I, I welcome you to uh, please stand if you are able. We will be reading God's word from Luke 22, 39 to 46. Luke 22, 39 to 46. Luke 22, 49, oh, sorry, 39 to 46, that says the, the word of God. And he went and he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to understand the truths in your word, Lord. May you your speak through our hearts this morning, through your word, through the, your Holy Spirit. Help me to be faithful in delivering the message, Lord, from your word. May you be blessed in our hearts, bringing uh, conviction and also encouragement, Lord, and hope that we, the hope that we have in Christ through the gospel. Lord. We pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. Those verses that we read uh, happened when, on a moment that Jesus and his disciples, they went to Gethsemane. Uh, while Jesus is praying, it, this happened before Jesus is, Jesus is praying, just before he was being betrayed and arrested. So Jesus, Luke starts saying that he came in out as was his custom. It was like it was common. Luke mentions that it was common for Christ to go to desolate places and to be praying. So Jesus' prayer life is often mentioned in the scriptures, and he would go to desolate place. But just to give us to give us some context of, of what we just read and what happened before and what is going to happen after this, those verses, everything that we read here happens after the institution of the Lord's Supper. That, that moment that we often call the upper room where Christ is talking to his disciples, he established the Lord's Supper, and Jesus being arrested and betrayed by Ju Judas. So I will just give you, uh, to, to give you more context, if you would like to understand more the context late, later, you can read Luke 22, Matthew 26, and John 13 to 18. It will give you a full context of everything that is happening there before and after the, this moment that Jesus is praying in, in Gethsemane. And I made a list of some important points just to, to help us to understand better what, what is happening here, why Jesus told the disciples those things, why he's praying there at Gethsemane. So all the disciples on the beginning of Luke 22, they, all, they were all present in a room for the Passover with Jesus, including Judas Iscariot. Jesus will, Judas Iscariot, he, partake, he partook on the, on the Lord's Supper, on the first Lord's Supper, his feet was also washed by Jesus, so he was there, present there the whole time before he went out 
to, to receive money to betray Jesus. So all the disciples are there. And Jesus foretell all the disciples that they would all fall away that night. That he was going to go away. He was going to die. And they would leave him alone. And they would be tempted by Satan. Especially Peter. Jesus, he gives a strong warning to Peter that Peter would deny him three times. And also, they all told, Jesus told all of them, they would all fail that night. And that someone was going to betray him. So we, often this is called the, the discourse on the, the upper room. So during the supper, we can see, as we can see in the Gospel of John, Jesus is saying to his disciples about his departure. So they, they were so sorrowful when Jesus was telling them, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die. So they were very sorrowful on that night. And then Christ encouraged them with many prayers. He's saying to them, like, you can't go where I'm going now, but later on, uh, you, you will be able to go with me as well. So Christ encouraged them. He prays for them. He prays the, the high priest prayer. He prays for his disciples, even for us, we will, as we will see later. And Jesus knows that Jesus, Judas Iscariot is going to betray him. It's amazing that when Jesus tell them that someone would betray him, the disciples had no clue what, what, who is going to do that. It's like it was not clear for them that Judas was going to do that. They even asked, it's I, Lord, it's me, Lord, I'm going to do that. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew since from the beginning that Judas Iscariot was the one going to betray him. So after the Lord's Supper, Jesus instituted them, the Lord's Supper. They partake in this, the Lord's Supper. And after that, Judas, he goes. The Bible says in the, the Gospel of Matthew and John that Satan entered into his heart and he went. And Jesus told him, what you need to do, do it quickly. And all the disciples thought that Jesus was telling Judas to go and give money to the poor or to buy something for him. They, they didn't, still didn't understand. So Judas went and he was going to lead a band of soldiers to arrest Jesus on that night. And while that is happening, while Judas is going there to lead that band of soldiers, Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. Those are the verse that we read. He goes to the Mount of Olives with his 11 disciples. Judas is not there anymore. And as was his custom, often he would bring James, John, and Peter to go further with him, as we saw during this transfiguration in, in some other passages as well. So while he prays there in Gethsemane, he brings James, John, and Peter with him, while he prays. And Jesus tells them in the Gospel of Matthew that his soul was sorrowful to death. Jesus was troubled that night. He was sorrowful, sorrowful to death. And Jesus then, we will see, as we will see in the passage, we will explain later uh, more about it, but Jesus prays then that the Father will pass this cup from him. We, see, we will see Christ submitting his will to the Father. We will see an angel come and helping, helping Christ, strengthening him. And as we, we, we will examine those verses, we will see that Christ's suffering progressively gets more intense. His suffering keeps increasing as he prays, as things happen. And that agony leads him to pray even more earnestly, as we read in, in, in the verse. The disciples, on the other hand, their sorrow brought them to drowsiness. And what they do? They slept out of sorrow. The Bible says they slept out of sorrow. They were so sorrowful that they, that the despair led them to his lap. And then Jesus will be warning the disciples a second time to pray to not enter into temptation. So just, this was just to give a context what happened before and what is happening now in those verse. 
And after that, after Jesus tells them the second time, he is arrested. And we will see verse by verse what this, this means for us. So from those passages, I would like to try to answer a few questions. First question is, Jesus is God. He always was. He was not created. He's not a created being like us. He's the eternal God. Why did Christ need to pray? Why Jesus need to pray? And he prayed for real. And we, as we can see, he, he suffers while he's praying. He's laboring to pray. He was not just praying for, he, pray, he prayed in few, a few times to give example. But this time he's not just praying to give an example. He's praying for real. It, it, we can see the need of him to be praying. Second question is, if Jesus, as a perfect man, prayed and was so essential for him to pray, how essential and important prayer should be for us as well? The third question is, if the apostles were tempted and failed, how much could we fail as well if we don't watch and pray? And the fourth question is, the last one, how can we have hope to persevere until the end if often we see how much we lack in prayer and fail in being watchful? We see in our lives that. We, we, we miss some points. We lack uh, to have a perfect prayer life, and sometimes we are not watchful. How, in face of that, how can we still be hopeful that we are in our way to heaven? We will talk about that as well. So first question, Jesus is God. Why Jesus need to pray? As Luke said in the first verse, 39, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. So praying in desolate place was common for Jesus. He would often go by himself to desolate places and be praying and spend the whole night praying or very early in the morning. Uh, the Gospels are saturated with verse showing Christ's commitment to prayer. And that raises us the, the, that question. Jesus is the eternal God who created all things, visible and invisible. Why does he need to pray? So Jesus is the eternal God. He's Christ. The, he's he's Jesus Christ is this, is God the Son. He is the God incarnate who became man. So, he, but he didn't lose his divinity. Jesus existed for all the eternity past. That is not a moment that he never existed. But one day he became man, and he didn't lose his divine nature. Actually, a new nature was added to his person. This is a so such a wondrous mystery like the Trinity. It's almost impossible for us to understand and to grasp the, the, the full depth of it. But that's what the Bible is saying, that he became man. Truly, he is now, he's truly God and truly man. He didn't lose any, anything from his divinity when he became a man. And as a man, he was perfectly man. He was perfect. He was truly man with a human body, a human soul, and a human mind. He was perfectly man like us. So in order that he could assume our, our, our place. Before we can elaborate more on why Christ needed to pray, let's read some Bible verse just to show how important it was for him, well, how, priority, how a priority was for him to pray. Uh, first Bible verse, like we, we can read that prayer was a priority for Christ even during a busy day. Mark 1, 35 to 37, it says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. So we, we can see that crowds would gather around him, trying to talk to him. He would always be full of compassion. This verse that we read just before the, this verse, he, he have healed all the sick and, 
expel their demons. And then it was late at night, he went to sleep. But he, the, very early in the morning, we see that he goes to pray. Instead of resting, he knew another busy day was awaiting for him. All the crowds was lo were looking for him. But instead of resting, he goes to pray. He, need, he knew he needed to pray before uh, ministering to those people. Uh, second point, uh, we, we can see Christ praying before and after important events. I'm not saying that before every event in the Bible, in the Gospels, Christ, the Bible will mention that Christ was praying. But a lot of important moments, the most important ones, he prayed before. For example, before choosing his disciples. Pastor John preached about it, his sermon named uh, A Prayerful Choice, Luke 6, 12 to 13. In, the day, in these days he went, sorry, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all the night he continued to pray in prayer to God. And when they came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. So we see Christ before choosing his apostles, his disciples, he prays. He spent the whole night praying before he could take that decision. We can see that he prayed before walking on water, Matthew 14, 22. He prayed before the transfiguration, Luke 9, 20, 28, 29. He prayed before his crucifixion, as we can see the, the verse we read today. And the list goes on. He, we, we can, we can imp see implicitly that he would not do anything without praying first. He would first go to God and pray as a man. Like I said, he didn't lose his divine powers at any, any moment. We, we never see that. But what we see is that some, some might say that he, Christ did all the miracles and wonders through his divine powers. That is true. He is still God. He never ceased to be God. He could have done all those miracles, all his wonders, everything he did, he could have done it by his divine powers. But the what this, the scriptures are telling us, what the Holy Spirit is showing us here, is the Holy Spirit is putting focus on his humanity. The Bible put focus on him walking as a perfect man for our sake. So we will see that Jesus, even being God, but as a man, he submit his will to the Father. He doesn't do his own will. He said that his food is to do the will of whom who sent him. So he submit his will to the Father. He prefers to do the will of the Father and he does it being powered by the Holy Spirit. For example, when the, when the Pharisees came to Jesus and said that he was expelling, casting out demons by Beelzebub, he said to them in Matthew 12, 28, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus told them, I'm, I'm casting out those demons by the Spirit of God. He didn't say, by, by my divine powers I'm expelling these demons. He said, by the Spirit of God. In Acts 22, 22, also we can see Peter and the apostles recognizing his humanity. Acts 2, 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. So Peter is preaching to the, to the, to the Jews, Jesus as a man approved by God, and they can see it by the miracles and wonders that God did through him. So God was doing those miracles through Jesus Christ as a perfect man. So often in the scriptures, we will see his prayer life connected to his power, to his character, and to his person. In Luke 11, 1, 
we can see the impact that Jesus' prayer life has on, had on his disciples. Luke 11, 1, they asked Jesus, Master, teach us to pray as John the Baptist teach his disciples. So they knew that John the Baptist teach his disciples. Some of Jesus' disciples were disciples of John the Baptist before. But they are saying, teach us how to pray. It's like they are saying, John the Baptist taught his disciples, we know that, but no one prays like you. Teach us how to pray. They saw in Jesus that no one would pray like him. They saw that there is something different happening here. I have never seen a man praying like him. Not even, neither even uh, John the Baptist prayed like this man. I, I want to learn from him. And it's one of the few requests. There are more requests that the Bible registers that the disciples ask Jesus. But what would you ask Jesus if you were there with him, face to face, walking with him, daily being with him for the whole day? What, what would you ask Jesus if you were there at that time? Arsis Pro, he wrote a book called The Prayer of the Lord, and he talks, uh, he has some good insight uh, about this, this verse, about this question. I will, I will just read from the book from Narcissus Pro. Imagine what it must have been like to have the privilege of following Jesus around day after day, listening to his teaching and watching him perform his miracles. I can think of lots of things they could have asked him to teach them. The disciples may, might have gone to him and said, Jesus, teach us how to turn water into wine. They might have asked, teach us how to walk on the water. Or they could have said, teach us how to raise people from the dead. Those are the, the kinds of questions that I would have asked him. But the New Testament tells us of a different request that the disciples brought to Jesus. They came to him on one occasion as Luke records for us in his gospel, and said, Lord, teach us to pray, Luke 11.1. 1. I find it fascinating that this was the burning question they brought to Jesus. Why did they ask him this question? My guess is that they saw the link between Jesus' extraordinary, extraordinary prayer life and his power, his teaching, his character, his whole person. They must have noticed that after ministering to large crowds of people, Jesus would often withdraw by himself. The disciples could not help but notice this commitment to prayer. They saw the intimacy Jesus had with the Father and made the connection between his prayer and his power. Arsis Pro, the prayer of the Lord. So what Arsis Pro is saying here is that why, why they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. They saw Jesus' character was different from everyone else. His power, his ministry, his person, everything on him was so fascinating. They, they, and they saw the connection. No one prays like him. No one is like him. I want to pray like him. So they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. Jesus is the son of God incarnate. But they saw that no one would pray like him. That there was a connection between his prayer life and his power. So answering the question. Why did Christ need to pray? He needed to pray because he assumed our place. As a man, we are commanded to pray. Praying is not something that was created in the New Testament. All the people of God from the Old Testament, they were required to pray. They would relate to God. Their relationship with God was through prayer as well. So Jesus, as a perfect man, assuming our place, he needed to pray. He needed to pray perfectly in our place. 
because was and also because God was the one doing all those mighty works, and Jesus as the perfect man then need depended on God to do those mighty works. And the way he depended on God was through prayer. The way we depend on God is through prayer as well. That's how we depend upon God. And lastly, his disciples are helping here us to understand that all those mighty works were connected to his prayer life. So God worked, was doing all his mighty works through Jesus. He was doing all his mighty works through Jesus' prayers. By answering his prayers, he was doing those mighty works. I'm just paraphrasing Paul Washer here. <clears throat> Jesus would not only pray out of a duty so he could be empowered to perform miracles. That is another reason why Jesus would pray so often. And it is his love for the Father. He is the Son of God. He has a relationship and we, one day we will have this, this relationship more close to God than we have today. One day we'll be, we will be fully overwhelmed by the fact that we are literally child of God. And Je but Jesus, that was perfect for him. He wanted to have this relationship with his father. He loved his father. And we can see some examples of that. How he would pray out of love for God. There is a prayer that he made in, in John 17, 1. That he asks God to glorify him so he can glorify God. Father, glorify me so I can glorify you. So he's concerned, he's love, he loves his father's glory so much that he wants to be glorified, not just for his glorification, so he can glorify God the Father even more. So out of love, he asks God to, to glorify him. And that love for God will cause us desire to talk to God, to hear from God, and to glorify God. So don't, don't just, we shouldn't be, Seeking to pray just because we need, just because we depend on it, but also out of love for God. We need to let the love for God lead us to, to, to our knees, to bow down to our knees. And that brings us to the next question. The second question is, if praying was so important and essential for our Savior, how essential prayer is for us? If Jesus as the perfect man needed so much to pray, how much do we need? How much essential it should be for us? Verse 40 from, from Luke 22. And he came to the place, he said, and when he came to the place, he said to them, pray, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So Jesus is telling them, it's essential for you to pray so you don't enter into temptation. And what was the temptation they were facing there? They were with Christ at Gethsemane. Christ is praying. And they are there with him. What was the temptation they could face there, face there in that time? Matthew 26, 31 help us to understand. Jesus, Jesus before told them, during the Lord's Supper, he told them, you will all fall away because of me this night. Jesus was telling them, you will abandon me. You will leave me alone. You will run away and leave me alone on that night. Satan asked you to, to tempt you all, especially you, Peter. So Jesus warned them, that is a danger. We are going there to get Gethsemane to pray. There is a danger there. And when Jesus told them they would all fall away, Peter answered that, no, Lord, I'm willing to go with you to prison and to death. I will never do that. And all the disciples told the same. They all told the same thing. No, we are willing to go to prison and to death to do with you. And then Jesus told Peter about his denial. Simon, Simon, Satan asked you to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed to you. So Jesus know that or knew already that he would not, he would be alone. Why? Because he said also in Matthew 26, 31, 
For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus knew that prophecy was about him. He would be stricken and his sheep would leave him away. He leave him alone. So the temptation on that night at Gethsemane was to abandon Christ, was to not persevere with Christ, to not follow him. Even their faith was at risk. Jesus told Peter, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. If it was depending on Peter, his faith would fail. He would never be recovered again. He would never turn back again. But what we see, Jesus warned them before during the Lord's Supper. But what do we see now? Are they watching? Are they praying? No, they are not. They slept. They, they, they told, no, no, I'm confident. I will never abandon Jesus. I, I'm going to defend Jesus no matter the cost. I will not allow anyone to betray him or to arrest him. They were, they were so confident in their determination, in their will, in their own will. No, I'm strong. I'm going to do it. I will never do such a thing. But they didn't take heed. They didn't take heed during the Lord's Supper and neither now at Gethsemane. They, they don't take heed. They don't take it seriously. Matthew 26, 40 and 41 it says, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. This verse from Matthew is the same, it's the same moment that Luke is narrating as well. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. They couldn't watch even for one hour. That was the most decisive moment and they couldn't watch for an hour. They were so unprepared there. They were so relying on themselves. They, they went there so confident in themselves. They, 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 they were not prepared for that battle as Jesus was. But Jesus tells them, tells their problem and our problem as well. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I believe when the disciples said, no, Lord, we are willing to go to prison to death for you. I believe they were being sincere there. Jesus said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The problem is they would be tempted. Even Satan would be there personally to tempt them to abandon Christ. So they relied too much in their decision and their determination. And they forgot that there is a spiritual battle against our souls. They, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. They love him. They are sorrowful. They don't accept the fact that he is going to be betrayed and die. So they assure themselves and Christ that they will defend him no matter the cost. But the truth is, they are weak. We are weak as well. Though we are willing, we are still weak. Our flesh is weak. We are new creatures. When we receive the gospel and believed in Christ, we receive the. We are now new creatures in Christ. We are now new creatures, new creation, but we still live in the, what the, the book of Romans says, Paul says in the book of Romans, we still live in this body of death. We still need to mortify the deeds of the flesh. That is still a battle raging on for us, and we need to be watchful and pray. We are helpless against sin in our own, especially having, we have sin, we have our flesh who is weak, and also we have the world to, 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 to try to impact us, and also that is the devil, that is the devil trying to tempt us. So we, we are helpless in our own. We can't win this battle by our own. But 
through prayer and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, the way we win the victory against our sins, against our temptations, is not through our own power, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the means that God provides for us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit is through prayer, as we can see in Christ's life. So we, we need to pray. Jesus warned them twi twice. Facing temptation, it's like facing temptation without praying is the formula for failure. Jesus knew that. Jesus tried to warn them. So how urgent it is for us to pray. It's not that Jesus was telling them, it would be good if you pray, or why don't you use this free time to pray? It would be, would be good for you. No, Jesus is not saying that. He's literally saying, pray, otherwise you will fall into temptation. Your temptations will overcome you unless you pray. Unless you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, you will fail. Jesus is, this is what Jesus is telling them. Could, just, could God just give us the power to overcome temptation even without praying? Absolutely. Good. God could have done that. But that's not what he did. We don't know why. We can't find an easy answer in the scriptures. Why God designed us to be like that, to be still weak. Why we still are so dependent upon him. But as Paul brothers, Paul was, was praying to God that he about his stone in the flesh. He prayed three times against it, but the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. So God, God didn't deliver us to face temptation. God didn't deliver us from facing our sins, but he grants us that it, that is grace available. That is sufficient grace for us to, to overcome and to, to walk with him. Praying was also important for Jesus as a way to submit his will to the Father. As we continue reading the verse 42, 41 and 42. And he withdrew from then about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So praying was the way that Christ would submit as a man his will to the Father. Like I said, he never sees it to be God. Not even for a second he sees it to be God. But as a man... That's the way he submit his will to the Father, praying that the Father would do his will. And what is this cup that Jesus was, was mentioned here? He, he asked the Father, remove this cup from me. This cup was making him trouble and sorrowful that night. And this cup is a metaphor. The Old Testament, often we will see God's wrath being compared to a cup that God will give to the, the people and to the nations he's punishing. As we can read in Isaiah 51, 17, Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the, from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. And in case you need, you would like to see more reference, Psalm 75, 8, Jeremiah 25, 15, Isaiah 51, 22, Ezekiel 23, 32 and 34 all mention the same thing. God's wrath being compared to a cup full of his wrath that he gives to those who he is judging. So he's facing the greatest temptation. Christ is going to receive soon the wrath of God being poured out unto him. That's what he was fearing. That was his temptation on that night to refuse the, that cup. But we can see the way it, the gospel of Matthew even said that he prayed the same thing three times. Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
The Gospel of Matthew mentioned that, that he prayed this three times. But still, he's fearing that cup. He knows it's the worst thing to experience the wrath of God. But what he does, he's decided to do his Father's will. He, don't, he do, didn't run away. He didn't uh, affirm to God, no, I, I don't want this cup anymore, Lord. Lord, No, he, he's decided to do his Father's will. So what we can see in this prayer, Jesus praying like, not my will, but yours be done, is Jesus as the perfect man, trusting and submitting his will to the Father. And we remember that he taught the disciples to do the same before. When he taught them the, 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 the Lord's Prayer, the, the, the Lord's Prayer, uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. He taught the disciples and now he is doing it himself. So Christ is doing what he already taught his disciples. Your will be done. And that, that makes us also question ourselves, like what would, would you trust if his will, God's will for you included suffering? Would you trust God's will for your life if his will for your life includes suffering as well? Jesus, he trusted perfectly. But the thing is, if we are in Christ, suffering in our lives is not a punishment. It's God's will for our good. Though we can't understand, we can see Jesus' suffering was for his good, for his exaltation, and for our good, for our redemption, for our salvation. And I know it's easier to speak about suffering than to go, to go through suffering. But let's look at Christ's example. He knows that praying is the means that God has chosen to work, not our own will, but his will for us, which is good, as the book of Romans says, good, acceptable, and perfect. So praying is the way we depend upon God. God knows everything we need before we ask him. God doesn't need us to tell him what we need. He knows perfectly. But still the Holy Spirit is teaching us in the scriptures to pray, your will be done. God wants to accomplish his will in our life through our prayers. And this is amazing. We are co-participant with God. God has his eternal decrees. He has decreed all the eternity past and the eternity future. But still, he allows us to be co-participants when we pray that his will should be done in our lives. So praise the way we, we, that God chose to, to accomplish his will in our lives, as we see that he accomplished through Christ. And what's the best way to pray according to God's will? If we should pray God's will as Christ is doing, what's the best way to, to pray God's will? Pastor John and Pastor Joshua will often teach us like, to pray the scriptures. The scriptures are the counsel of God, the whole counsel of God. And we will be closest to be praying God's will when we pray with the assistance of the scriptures. It's still, we are, it's still our prayers will not be perfect, but the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is also interceding for us because we don't know to pray how, as we ought. And brothers and sisters, as we pray God's will, as we understand that God's will is good for us, our will, our desires will be conformed to God's will for us as well. That's, that's what we, we should be praying as well. And while Christ is praying, we can see in verse 43 that appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. So Christ is submitting his will to the Father. He is sorrowful. That moment is bringing him such an agony. And he, he is laboring in, in prayer. And he, he, his body, he, he had a body like ours, though he was sinless and perfect. There was no sin on him. He knew no sin. 
But his body was like ours. He would be thirsty, he would be hungry, he would be tired. And that moment of prayer drained all his strength. So I, there, are, there are a lot of opinion on what is this angel happening him, what the angel did to strengthen him. I believe, in my opinion, the best uh, way to approach is that his body was so drained on that time physically that an angel was sent to help him to strengthen his body. So he continued to be praying and continued doing everything. Christ, Christ was sinless. He didn't need a spiritual and he didn't need spiritual strengthening. He was, his faith was perfect. His trust in the Father was perfect. But his body was uh, troubled on that time. His body was stressed to the limit. So the angel helped him to strengthen his physical body while he was uh, battling through prayer. And on verse 44, after the angel helped him, it says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Something is happening at Gethsemane. As Christ is praying, his agony increases. His sweat becomes blood. He is facing the hardest day of his ministry on that time. And his divine nature is not alleviating his suffering. He could use his divine powers to alleviate his suffering. But he doesn't. He trusts in God. He trusts in the Father. In a few hours, he knew that he would be delivered to the hands of men. So he, he even said to the disciples in, in the Gospel of Matthew 26, 38, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. He prayed. He prayed, Father, if possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It was not possible to be removed. And Jesus knew that. And he submits his will to the Father. What was going to happen with Christ? What is cup of wrath was doing, going to do with Christ? The wrath of God. Like for our sake, we should be the ones drinking from that cup. Because of our sins, because of our defiance against God, our rebellion against God, we should be the, one, the ones drinking that cup. But instead, God poured out his wrath over him. On that, on that night when Jesus was crucified the other day, he was going to carry the weight of hell on his shoulders. All our sins was, were put upon him. All the wrath of God was put upon him. And he would be forsaken by God. Jesus was going to be treated as the worst sinner that ever walked on earth. Though being sinless, though in being perfect, he was going to be treated like all of us deserve to be treated. He did, he did it in our place. And why, what Christ does when he sees that the, the, the moment is approaching, that he will need to drink that cup, does he rest? Does he try to alleviate his pain? No, he plays more earnestly. Look, register here, he prays even more earnestly. As his suffering increases, his body is starting to react, but what he does, he prays more earnestly. He knows how much suffering and pain awaits for him, especially being forsaken by God. But he wins the battle against this temptation through prayer. He prays even more so he could win that battle. The Father will accomplish his will through Christ's prayer. As we know, he is victorious. Jesus prayed, Father, if possible, pass, pass this cup from me. 
Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And even the author of Hebrews will write about this moment in Hebrews 5, 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Some might say, but Jesus asked Jacob to be removed. Yes, but then he said, not my will, but yours be done. And he was heard. God did his will. And he was heard because of his reverence, not because he's asking the father, father, do my will, remove this cup. No, he asked the father to, to do his own will, to execute his perfect plan of redemption. Brothers and sisters, Jesus was heard because later we can see that he was raised from the dead. So Christ submits his will and we need to follow his example. as well. It's not easy, especially when we know that suffering can come depending on, on God's will for our lives. But we need to follow Christ's example. He is the perfect example that we could follow. There is no better way to see God's will in our lives than through prayer. Praying is the way we depend upon God. If we want holiness, if we want to avoid sin and to be victorious over temptation, we need to pray. And Christ not only shows us, He does it. He does it perfectly. But sisters, Jesus, he prayed a prayer that could only be answered with one answer, God, God's will. Though he is asking, pass this cup from me, but he, he leaves the, that prayer to God that on a way that can only be answered with one answer, God's will. And he received the answer. So we see Christ submitting his will. We can see uh, the more his agony and suffering increased, the more earnestly he prayed. If that was the way that Christ faced his temptations and trials, how much should we? If Christ, the perfect man, is facing temptation and trials with prayer, how should we face our temptations? How should we face our sins? We should also pray like Christ. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that... Brings us to the, uh, to the third question. If the apostles were tempted and failed, how much could we? We saw before Christ the perfect man praying. And now we are seeing the apostles, they, they failed. They, they were tempted and failed. And how much could we also as well, be brothers and sisters, fail if, if we don't watch and pray? Verse 45 and 46, it says, And when Christ rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Gethsemane was one of the hardest moments of his ministry. And his disciples failed him twice. They could not watch and pray with him even for an hour. Instead of watching, they slept. The Bible is not here teaching us that we should replace every moment, every whole night of sleep with prayer. It's not teaching us that. But they should have decided the moment that were, they were facing. They should have followed Christ's warning uh, in face of the danger of temptation that night. And Jesus told them they would fail. Jesus told them what was their weaknesses, the self-reliance. They were so confident in themselves and also Satan was there personally tempting them. They didn't watch. They didn't pray. They didn't persevere. They failed. The apostles, the disciples, that night, they failed. And then Jesus, as the verse we read, they, he said, he told them again, 
rise and pray. But right after Jesus told them to rise and pray a second time, Judas came leading the band of soldiers. So it was too late for them to pray now. The second time Jesus warns them, the same moment, right after that, Judas came. So it was too late for them to pray. And what happened? They left Jesus alone. Jesus was arrested and the disciples left Jesus alone and Peter denied him. So we, we can see the difference. Christ's suffering led to more reliance on God, to pray more earnestly. The disciples' sorrow led them to despair and they slept. And what do we do when we face sorrow, loneliness, despair, fear, discomfort, injustice? What do we do? Oftentimes, our tendency, Jesus, Jesus prayed even more earnestly, but our tendency sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes we get paralyzed in face of trials, convictions, guilty, despair, loneliness, fear, discomfort. Sometimes we get paralyzed. We don't do anything. We know what we need to do, but we don't. If Christ prayed, how much should we pray? If the apostles, brothers brothers and sisters, they saw Jesus face to face. They saw his miracles. They saw his glory and still they failed. Still they failed to watch and pray. Like how much could we? How much could we fail if we don't watch and pray? But we shouldn't just be looking down at the apostles here. If we fail to pray as they did, we will also fail. We will fail in persevering as well. How often do I fail? How often do, do we fail? Often. Often. And that leads us to our last question. How can we have hope to persevere to the end? How we can have hope that we are in our way to heaven if constantly we see how much we lack in prayer and fail in being watchful? How can we still be hopeful that we are going to heaven to see Christ if we see in our lives? Often we fail. We fail to pray. We fail to be watchful. We sin. We need to persevere to the end. This is true. The Bible said that the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. And Jesus told them they would all fall away that night. And they fell. Also Peter, Jesus said in Luke 22, 31 and 32. Excuse me. Luke 22, 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter failed. He failed grievously. From the eleven, excluding Judas, he is the one who fell more grievously that night Peter was tempted to deny Jesus Judas is tempted to betray Jesus and Judas and Jesus warned both of them Peter you are going to deny me three times and he told to the disciples and Judas was there someone who is at me at the table will betray me he warned both of them they both fail why the outcome is so different what happens to Peter Peter, he, he turned back. He was strengthened and he took the lead to preach the gospel. His first preaching, 5,000 are converted. The second preaching, 3,000 are converted. 3,000 are saved. So Peter was restored. Judas was not. He never turned back to Christ. 
he ended his life that night. But what's, we, we don't see so much difference in what they did here. Why is the outcome so different? The difference is that Jesus prayed for Peter. Jesus told him, you will, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. I, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus told Peter, you are going to sink so grievously that your faith is at risk, Peter. But I have prayed to you that your faith may not fail. His faith would fail that night. What Jesus is saying here is that that night, if it was not him interceding for Peter, he would fail. He would not be restored. Brothers and sisters, Jesus also prayed for us. That's why we are here. That's why we are persevering. That's why we can be confident that despite our failures and that despite our lack of praying, our lack of watchfulness, Jesus prayed for us. In his high priest prayer, in John 17, 20, he says, I do not ask for this only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. If you have never meditated in John 17, it's an amazing prayer that Jesus did. And in one moment on that prayer, he mentioned, Father, I'm not praying just for those 11 here with me. I'm praying for those who will believe in future, for those who will receive the gospel and will believe. I'm praying for them. And what did Christ pray for us on that night? He prayed for us. He prayed that we might be preserved. He prayed that we might know the Father, that we may be where he is, that he consecrated himself for our sake. Jesus prayed for us. That's why we, when we fail, we don't act like Judas and go away. No, Christ prayed for us that our faith may not fail. So our hope, our hope is not in our own prayers. Our hope is that Christ prayed for us and he is interceding for us. But how could Christ pray for me like 2,000 years ago? Like God is not limited to time. God is not like us walking through time. He God is at the same moment, eternal past and eternal future. If you are in Christ, if you believe in Christ, that prayer was for you as well. That prayer has your name included there as well, if you are in Christ. We can be hopeful because even though we don't even know how to pray as we ought, the Holy Spirit will help us in our weaknesses. Romans 8.26 Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with growing too deep for words. We can have hope despite our lack of praying, our lack of watchfulness, because the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. And the Bible said it's so strong, his prayer for us, his intercession for us, it's not even possible to show it in words. It's too deep for words. The way he intercedes for us, the love he intercedes for us, the strength, the earnestliness that he intercedes for us is too deep to describe in words. And he is interceding for us right now at this moment. So brothers and sisters, don't be discouraged. I, I, my, my, I, me, my, I myself, I'm, sometimes I'm discouraged by my prayers, by the words I'm saying, how, how, uh, how much I lack in prayer, I'm not praying enough, I'm not praying the, the right things enough. But don't be discouraged. Jesus he lived as a perfect man in our place. He prayed perfectly in our place. So Jesus fulfilled all that we don't have. We don't have a perfect prayer life to offer to God, but Christ offered in our place.
he replaced us. So don't be discouraged. But be encouraged. Because of that, you can pray. Because of that, you, despite our failures, we can be heard by God. He lived the perfect life. So we are not saved through prayers. In Ephesians, it doesn't say, through prayer you have been saved. No, it, it's through faith. Through faith, through faith in Christ, we have been saved. By the grace of Christ, we have been saved. But we were saved to pray. Praying is something that only a saved person can do. Brothers and sisters, before believing the gospel, before receiving Christ, we, are, we were alienated to God. That cup was still spilling over us. But since we accepted Christ, since we received Christ, now we can pray. We can pray with all the confidence. The, the book of Hebrews tells us that you go with boldness and confidence to the throne of grace, in, in, to find grace in time, an opportunity time. So we can pray and we can pray with confidence. This is not to think too, too much about yourself, that we will never deserve. None of us deserve. But the Bible guarantees us that we can do it with boldness, with confidence. We can approach the throne of grace in time of need with confidence. Because Christ fulfilled what we don't have. But don't just pray because it's a commandment. Because we need to pray. Pray out of love for God. Let the love of God lead you to pray. Go to pray because you love God. Pray to God that his love will lead you. Will, will help you to be devoted to prayer. Like I said, sometimes I don't trust my own prayers. I don't have enough confidence. I lack sometimes faith and faithfulness. But... We can trust Christ's intercession for us. In the book of Hebrews says that he lives to intercede for his people. It's amazing to see like while we are here at the church, singing, hearing a sermon, in a few minutes we will partake on the Lord's Supper, we will even share a meal. All this time Christ is interceding, will be interceding for us. At this right time, right now, Christ is interceding for us. That's why we persevere. That's why we are preserved. We can trust in Christ's intercession. Romans 8.34 asks, Who is to condemn us? He is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Oh, we are guilty. The thing is, it's not that we are not guilty. We are guilty, but there is no condemnation. Christ took the condemnation. We have John, 1 John 2.1 says that we have an advocate in heaven to defend us from all accusations. So Christ is interceding for us. He removed, he took the cup of wrath and he removed that wrath from us. So Jesus interceding for us is essential for our salvation. Sometimes this is not spoken so much, but Jesus interceding for us is essential. Brothers and sisters, we can't be saved if Christ is not interceding for us right now at this moment. We need, we depend on his intercession. That's how we persevere to the end. And all his prayers for us are guaranteed because of his sacrifice. All his intercessions for us, all our prayers as well, are covered by his perfect sacrifice. So we, we can be confident. Pray for me, pray for our church, that we will grow in our love for God. We, we, see, we can see the example that Christ leaves us here. The perfect prayer life. Look to Christ. Look to his example. Even more than that, look to Christ through the gospel, seeing that he fulfilled what we can't fulfill. Don't be discouraged if sometimes you, if you failed in praying. Don't be discouraged if you failed and you still need to go to God and pray. It's all guaranteed through Christ. We can be confident. So pray for our church that we will grow in our love for God, in our desire to pray. 
that we will pray like Jesus, our Savior, that we will see the importance of prayer as the apostle later they saw. Later, after that, after they failed that much, they learned. They learned, they saw how important it is to pray, how much they needed to pray. We can read in Acts, Acts 6, 4, the apostle saying, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. But we will devote ourselves to prayer. They saw the importance. We will devote ourselves to prayer. Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Rise and pray. Our Savior is calling us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the grace and mercy that we receive through Christ. Lord, our salvation finally depends on you, O Lord. Our trying God, you are the one accomplished salvation in our life. Father, you sent your son to die in our place. Jesus, you lived the perfect life that we could never live. You prayed for us, O Lord, and you are interceding for us right now. Holy Spirit, we thank you for you have opened our eyes to see the gospel, to see Christ through the gospel and his perfect sacrifice for us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, for your goodness. Help us to be a people that pray, O Lord. Help us to grow in, in our prayers, in our prayer time, in our confidence before you, remembering what Christ has done for you, for us, O Lord. Help us to grow in praying for one another, in loving one another. O Lord, we, we pray to you, Lord. Accomplish his will. May your word find a place in our hearts this morning, O Lord. We pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen.